0: As we continue our sermon series on delighting in our dependence, based on Dr. Kelly Capix's book, You're Only Human, uh, we come to, how, to God, how God intends for us to inhabit time. Uh, how did God make humans to inhabit time? Which feels very appropriate on uh, a Sunday occurring on the first day of the year when we are not offering childcare. Because each of us will experience the length of this sermon in very different ways. Uh, For some of us, the experience of stress, of trying to keep kids quiet during the sermon, will make this sermon feel unusually long. Others who are childless today may actually think, that is the shortest sermon that I've ever heard Mark preach. And why is that? Well, the reason is uh, articulated by Christian philosopher and priest, Dr. John O'Donohue, in the quote on the front of your bulletins, which were also almost late to this service, where he says this, Stress is a perverted relationship to time." What Dr. O'Donohue is trying to describe here is that we experience stress whenever we want to control time instead of receive it, whether we want time to slow down because we don't have enough time to accomplish what we want to accomplish, or if we want it to speed up because we don't want to wait for something to happen like this sermon to end, right? So how is your relationship to time going? Or to put that another way, how much stress have you experienced in the last month? Have you felt overwhelmed or pressured or hurried or anxious or spread too thin at any point in the last several weeks? How good are you at resting and simply being present In the moment that you find yourself in? Do you feel compelled to check emails while you're supposed to be on vacation? Or how much time can you spend with your family or friends before you need to look at your phone because you want to be somewhere else in terms of what you're giving your attention to? How often do you take or make work phone calls from home? Dr. Kapik observes that the reason that we struggle with this more than our ancestors did is because since the advent of electricity, the mechanical clock, standardized global time, and the internet, our relationship to time has changed. And so we relate to time differently than our ancestors did. Because of these inventions, our ability to be productive is no longer bound By the natural cycles of day and night, summer and winter, springtime and harvest. Dr. Caput calls that contextualized time, when you have to contextualize what you're doing to what's going on in the natural world. But what we now experience is what he calls non-contextualized time, which means that we no longer receive time as a given, we exploit time as a resource, we think of it as something that can be used for the sake of productivity instead of something that is given for the sake of relationship, first with God and then with nature and then with other people. Our non-contextualized approach to time was summarized well by the inventor of electricity, Ben Franklin, when he quipped, time is money. But God's Word encourages us to take a different perspective, as we'll see in our passage today, which we've printed on the inside of your bulletins, from Ecclesiastes 3, where we'll we read this, beginning in verse 1. There's an occasion for everything, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill "'And a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, "'A time to weep, and a time to laugh, "'A time to mourn, and a time to dance, "'A time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, "'A time to embrace, a time to avoid embracing, "'A time to search, and a time to count as lost, "'A time to keep, and a time to throw away, "'A time to tear, and a time to sow.'" a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What the author of Ecclesiastes is inviting us to see is that time is a gift. It's something that the God who exists outside of time creates so that we, creatures he's made in his image, can experience the possibility of real relationships with all of their beauty and all of their tragedy, all of their gains and all of their losses. This is what a full life is. A full life is high highs and low lows. A full life is being able to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. But most of us resent the positions we find ourselves in in time. And why is that? Well, verses 9 through 12 explain why. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He's made everything appropriate in its time, He has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. See, we long to form relationships and to accomplish things that last forever. We want our accomplishments to stand the test of time. We want our relationships to go on into eternity, but they don't. Like all created things, they briefly flourish... But eventually, they fade back to dust, exactly the way God said they would when we chose to disconnect ourselves from our dependence on Him. In Genesis three seventeen 17-19, we read that He said to Adam, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you are taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. Now, why would God do that? Why would God set eternity in our hearts but give us bodies doomed to decay? Why would God grant us the power to create things like Him only to see them fade away? These are the same questions that Moses asked as he wandered in the wilderness for 40 years as a consequence of the people of God rebelling against the God who had just delivered them from Egypt before they were able to enter into the promised land. And Moses was wondering, when are you going to forgive us? When are you going to allow us to enter into this land that you've promised us? You've placed this desire for this home in our hearts, but now as a consequence of our rebellion against you, we're wandering around in a desert. Moses put this question to song, and it's been recorded for us in Psalm 90, where we read this, "'Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by like a few hours of the night.' Then in verse 12, Moses says, "'Teach us to number our days carefully "'so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. "'Lord, how long? "'Turn and have compassion on your servants. "'Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love "'so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days.'" Make us rejoice as many days as you have humbled us for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord God be on us. Establish the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. What Moses is explaining here is that the brevity of life is an invitation to renew our dependence on our Creator who exists from eternity to eternity. We're meant to plug our desire for eternal life that God has placed into our hearts into Him instead of into this world, into the here and now. So how do we do that? Well, verse 14 of our passage tells us how to do that. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of Him. God explains, the author of Ecclesiastes, is the only being who can work and do things that will last forever. And the work that he is doing is something that he has actually created us to behold. We exist to be able to see his work. We're made in his image to be able to get what he's doing and to take it in. It's the purpose of our existence. We are made with the capacity to see God. And so what is the work that God has done that we might be in awe of him? What's the breathtaking work of God? Well, Jesus tells us in John 6, 29, Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one that he sent. See, it turns out that the staggering thing that God is doing from eternity to eternity is creating humans in his image, allowing us to rebel against him, and then becoming human to save us from the consequences of our sins. God sent His only begotten Son who exists in the Godhead as an eternal being into space and time to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And that is, He sent Him to give us eternal life. Jesus put it this way in John 6, 38-40, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Now, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to prove that you have the ability to do it. So how could a human being claiming to be God that he had the ability to give eternal life to whoever believed in him. Well, that person would need to predict with precision the day of their death. And then they would need to explain that they were gonna show the power to defeat that death by accomplishing their own resurrection again at a time that they had predicted, which is exactly what Jesus did. John 10, 17 through 18, when he said, This is why the Father loves me, because I lay my life down so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. And Jesus did that, all right? Jesus actually died when he predicted he would, to the day. And he rose again, when he predicted he would, to the day. And transformed a group of no-talent, uneducated, Galilean, arguing, sinful dudes into the group of men who founded Christianity, wrote the New Testament, and changed, transformed the world. His resurrection was a literal history-altering event. What would it look like for us to believe that? Well, it would change our relationship to time. Instead of trying to be God by making time work for us, we would trust the God who gives and takes away our time. The one who gives us these moments as an invitation to place our hearts and our hopes in Him alone. In his book on Ecclesiastes, Living Life Backwards, David Gibson explains it in terms of figuring out how to die well. This is what he says, quote, to die well means that you realize death is the limit God has placed on creatures who want to be gods. You see, the simple truth is you are going to die. You have an actual fixed number of breaths, that God has assigned to you. The Bible says it this way, all the days of your life are written in his book before any of them come to be. So we were surprised that Shane died on Christmas at the age of 34. God was not surprised by that. He knew that that was the day that Shane was going to be called home to be with him. That will be true of each of us. Each of us, in a strange way, will be surprised when it's our day to die. Uh, And for many of us, that's a day that we're afraid of. Uh, It's actually a day that God looks forward to. It's the day when we finally get to do what we were made to do, and that is see Him. And so, when that happens, when we begin to put our brief time here on earth back in its proper context, in the context of what God is doing in eternity instead of what we wish He was doing on earth... Verse 14 and 15 then makes sense to us. We're able to say with the author of Ecclesiastes, I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking from it. The works, God works so that people will be in awe of Him. Whatever is has already been and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. What the author of Ecclesiastes is saying is, the bottom line is is really about what God is doing. It's not about what we're doing. And what God is doing is preparing us for this moment, this moment when we're going to be gathered into his presence and we're going to give an account for every thought, word, and deed, how we've used time, how have we stewarded the time that he gave us. And the essential question he's going to be asking is this, did you trust me or did you trust you? Who did you trust in? Did you trust in the one that I sent? Did you trust in Jesus, the exact representation of my being? Did you receive and rest upon him alone as I offered to him to you in your time? If the answer is yes, then Paul says we're able to do, in Ephesians 5.16, what he calls redeeming time. We can redeem the time. Paul says, redeem the time for the days are evil. People who live by faith in Christ Jesus and in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus redeem time by doing three things. First, they let go of the past. Second, they let go of the future. And third, they present themselves to God in the here and now. First, they let go of the past. Uh, the demon, Screwtape, in uh, C.S. Lewis's fictional work, The Screwtape Letters, says this about how to really mess up humans when training a, a younger demon. He says, quote, "...humans live in time, but our enemy, God, destines them to eternity. He, therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point in time which they call the present." Our business is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. The first suggestion that Screwtape then makes is to get us fixated on the past. We sinfully cling to the past in two different ways. One is nostalgia and the other is regret. Nostalgia takes the form of longing for heaven And it places it on some idealized version of our past. And what we're remembering when we're nostalgic didn't even happen. It wasn't that good. But we've remembered it as being supreme because what we've done is we've attached our eternal longing that God put in our heart and we've given it a home at some point in our history. Now, living that way results in perpetual discontentment with your present and often results in resentment, particularly towards people that you believe are ruining things that you cherish, whether it's cherished traditions or cherished ways of living. Now, the other way that we get stuck in the past is through regret. Regret focuses on our past failures and our past sins, our past mistakes, and it robs our present of joy, tempting us to believe that our future is hopeless, that we missed our one chance at the right job, at the right relationship, at the right you know, place to live. And so our future is without hope. But those united to Christ are able to let go of those mistakes, nostalgia and regret, by believing this promise in Romans 8.28. We know all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. When you arrive home in heaven, like Shane is now, you won't have any regrets you're going to suddenly see that God knew what He was up to even when you didn't. All of your past, including your sins, your foolishness, and even your past mistakes are going to make the gifts that He gives you there that much better. All things are going to work to your good. Which also, when you believe makes it possible to let go of the future. Again, Screwtape had instructions here for Wormwood, the junior demon. He said, "...getting humans to live in the past is of limited value. It's far better to make them live in the future. Nearly all vices are rooted in the future. Gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead." You see, those who live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us are able to trust him with their future even when they can't see what it will be. Instead of doing what we're tempted to do, which is to spend our time anxious or afraid or scheming, trying to make life come together for us, um, it's kind of the, you know, win the lottery mentality, right? Where, or, or the, bit, you know, Bitcoin, right? It's your, it's your Bitcoin moment, right? Where you're like, oh, yeah, you know, invested in Bitcoin. All right, I'm so rich. And then psh, guess what? No, you're not. Oh, sucker, it's worth nothing. It's all made up. Uh, Victoria and I were talking about this uh, a few weeks ago in uh, 412 class. And she was like, I've realized like money is like, not real. I was like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we just, we just make it up. We all agree it has a certain amount of value, but it's completely fabricated. It's, uh, it's all by faith. Um, and, and so the funny thing is, Paul says, hey, there's a different way to live. You can live by faith in Jesus instead of your 401k. You can live by faith in Jesus instead of your marriage. You can live by faith in Jesus instead of how your kids are going to grow up and turn out. You can live by faith in Jesus instead of your friend group. He puts it this way in Romans 8. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not even spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us Everything. You see, this kind of confidence allows us to trust God's heart that He's revealed to us in sending us His Son, even when we can't see His hand in the circumstances of our life. Whether it's unwanted singleness or childlessness or bodies that are breaking down or careers or countries that aren't going the way we want them to go, people who redeem time trust God to keep the promise He's made to us. One of my favorite promises God's made is in Isaiah 42, 16. He says this, I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on paths they have not known. I will turn darkness to light in front of them and rough places into level ground. This is what I will do for them and I will not abandon them. God gave that promise to his people right before he allowed them to be taken into captivity in Babylon. He knew things were gonna get rough. And he said, in the middle of that, I just want you to know, I still love you, and I still know what I'm doing, even when you don't. Doing this frees us to do the main thing God then wants us to do, which is simply this, enter into his presence. Dr. Kapik, uh calls this living corem deo. You've got to live before God. How do you practice the presence of God? Well, you've made a good choice today, right? You chose to begin the new year by worship, right? That's a good decision. Hopefully, you're going to benefit from that. Hopefully, you're going to walk out of here a little wiser than you walked in because we're studying a wisdom literature today. God is giving you something. And it's why we had this as our call to worship, Psalm 100. This might be worth memorizing. This is all of Psalm 100. It's five verses. Let the whole world shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful song. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, we are His, His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good and His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. So how are you this year going to live in the presence of God? How are you going to live Coram Deo? One thing uh, Holly and I have implemented this last year is we have started uh, each morning listening to Lectio 365. It's seven minutes long of just kind of meditating on God's Word. It's a guided meditation that's kind of teaching us how to pray. They have an evening version that you can listen to at the end of the night, too, before you go to bed, but Holly and I are too old and tired to actually do it. We keep saying, oh, we're going to do that, and then we have yet to do it. So maybe this year, we'll actually listen to the the evening part as well. But what are you going to do? Well, the the main thing that God wants you to do is to learn how to love. If you want to really understand Uh, what it means to live in God's presence. you got to learn how to receive his love and to kind of become a conduit of grace, to let his love flow through you. Jesus put it this way, "'As the Father has loved me, "'so I also have loved you. "'Remain in my love. "'If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, "'just as I have kept my Father's commands "'and remain in his love. "'I have told you these things "'so that my joy may be in you "'and your joy may be complete.'" This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. Contextual time takes place when we learn to number our days rightly, when we learn to see them for what they are, a gift. Each one, an opportunity to remain in God's love, to receive his love, to love him back to love those that He has placed in our lives, whether they're our family, our friends, our neighbors, or our enemies. God gives us love to give even to them. And this and this alone gives your life eternal worth, meaning, and direction. Because as Ecclesiastes says, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity In their hearts, but no one can discover the work of God uh, that God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his effort. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that his people will be in awe of him. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you uh, came to do the work uh, necessary for us to know God. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would believe uh, in you and that that belief would free us, uh, Lord, to let go of the past, to let go of the future, and to present ourselves to you today, that we might remain in your love